Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome along to the Rugby Pod brought to you as usual by good friends at Guinness. It's been a hell of a season and we've had some massive highs like the shows in Dublin, Edinburgh, London and Cardiff and some even bigger guests like Sir Bill Beaumont and Augustine Pichot but all good things must come to an end and here we are at the end of the regular season. The good news is... We'll be back in a couple of months when the season kicks off again in August. And in the meantime, if you're still wanting to get your weekly fix, we're going to keep going on Patreon for all our super fans with interviews and some great extra content each week. A massive thanks to everyone who's already joined us on there. And if you haven't already, go and check it out for the next few weeks. You'll get access to all the back catalogue of over 50 interviews for less than a price of a pint per month. The more people that sign up, the more content we'll be able to produce and the bigger names we'll be able to interview. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod. And thanks again for all your support. We couldn't do it without you. How's your week been, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what do we say? Hell of a week. Good, do you want to go first or me? <laughs> well, mine's been pretty dull compared to yours again, Jim. Um, and this puts a smile on my face every week. But um, I suppose dull, I, I mean, it's just same old, same old, isn't it? Although I did play golf with my mum this week. So I saw my mum for the first time, I think it's about 10 weeks, 11 weeks. She asking for me? Yeah, well, you, you spoke to her, didn't you, James? Yes, I did. Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. Uh, we met at my golf club. Uh, she came down, we, we played golf together, socially distancing, of course. And um, I'm delighted to say that I absolutely smashed her. <laughs> <laughs> nothing better than getting your mum down to play golf who's very competitive as you can imagine and uh, you know tearing her to pieces on my own golf course it was brilliant congratulations um, yeah I feel feel really good about myself for doing it as well you should you look a little bit uh, disheveled or whatever they call it um, you can, obviously the millions of listeners won't be able to see you but if you are watching your beard you actually look like a lion you look like the, yeah you look like the king of the jungle the one that's you know, been lying there and people have been bringing them stuff to eat. And, <laughs> but mate, you're, uh, what kind of beard have you gone for there? It's like a bush, 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 bush. Yeah, I've just let bush. it grow out. Um, I'm, I'm annoyed this week and that's why I need to get rid of all my frustration first, Jim, before I hear about your week. And that will put a smile back on my face because I talked about the bike nearly being delivered. I've got the Lycra. The Lycra is ready to go. The bike gets delivered on Friday. I've paid a reasonable amount of money for a bike and the bike that got delivered was last year's model, a worse model, that's actually on sale for half the price of what I paid for it. So I was raging. Don't we know about it as well? Don't we know about it off social media? (laughs) God, we knew. They they got the message. Well, you have to, and it's the only way they interact with you, really. And I was raging, but also quite happy. Raging that the bike arrived in in terms of it being the wrong bike, but quite happy because it means I've just delayed a bit more fitness as well. So um, a fairly dull week in my life, Jim. How was yours? Hell of a week. (laughs) I, I don't know what better way to put this, and I've been thinking about how I talk about the situation that came into my life at the back end of last week. Matt, I've, I'm just I, forget it, forget tiptoeing round. Ace is gone, mate. The dog's gone. No. Yeah. What? Yeah, the dog's gone, mate. Um, now I'm thinking about how to get the story across without. Vern Cotter being my friend again and without upsetting people out there who are animal lovers. So let me set the scene. 
Ace has been a brilliant dog. Uh, he is a brilliant dog. He's still with us. He, he didn't die. I got him from the West Midlands Police Service. Been waiting a while to try and find another dog, make sure it's the right dog. We've obviously got the twins. We've got JJ and Phoebe. So we've got four kids. So we've got a busy household anyway. But I thought during lockdown, it would be a good time to get a dog right because we've got time on our hands to see what he's like with the family. And fair play to West Midlands Police. When you get a dog from them, you don't pay for it. Uh, you have like a three or four week trial with the dog, see if it fits in with the household and then you make a, a payment or a contribution later down the line. He's been good. He's been traveling in the car, been taking him on walks. He's been good with the kids, a bit jumpy. He's still got his nuts, so he was a little bit grabby now and again, but nothing that you couldn't handle. So there I am. I'm taking pictures. They're going viral of me and Ace. I'm taking videos and showing my good life out there walking the dog, he's coming back, Ace, come, 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 comes back, give him a treat. Next thing, he's gone. I'm like, Ace, 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 it's your dad, Ace, it's your dad, it's your brother. Nothing. I'm like, where's he gone? And I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm in the mountains, right? I'm in the middle of nowhere. I look up into the distance on the hill, and I've got like these really good um, eyes where I can see for miles. I can see up. <laughs> these really on- good eyes. Is that the actual description of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see him up on the hill herding sheep, right? And I'm like, oh my God. So I'm doing the recall. He ain't coming back. Next thing, Mr. Gilmore's jacket's running through, I mean, at a pretty decent speed as well, through the through the fields, through the marshlands. I'm swimming across these rivers, across these lakes. And this is the sad bit about it, and we can joke about it if, if we want. He's attacking a sheep, right? Oh, gosh. And uh, I get, managed to get to this sheep, and there's loads around. There's hundreds, there's thousands around. I get to this sheep, it's not moving. Next thing, he's bolted off again. So I'm chasing him, and anyone who has seen a Belgian shepherd, similar to a German shepherd run, mate, they're quick. Right, but he's at now at a stage where I've not seen him. He ain't listening. He ain't coming back or whatever. And it's not as if I'm a, a, a not a responsible owner. Mate, we're now, we're about 10 miles away from the footpath where I was. We're not, we're about two miles, three miles. But when we, where we walked, there was no livestock, right? There was none whatsoever. So I'm trying to get, he ain't coming back whatsoever. So he's on top of another sheep. So I managed to restrain him, uh, read him his rights, put him in handcuffs and tie him to a tree. <laughs> well, I go back and tend to these sheep to see what the situation is. And I've never been in a situation like this before. So I'm shitting myself. I'm panicking. Like the adrenaline is literally like at the point where I was captain for Scotland. Like it is through the roof, right? I get to this sheep. It's not moving, right? So I put into Siri in all the panics. I'm like, this sheep ain't moving. I'm going to have to resuscitate it. Like I couldn't see any blood or anything. So I'm rolling this sheep over. I've never touched a sheep before. First time I've ever touched a sheep. And I'm... Um, on Siri trying to find its heart and it won't give me the position of the heart. So I just start massaging its belly. I'm looking to see and I'm thinking surely the dog that I've been with for a month and he's been with the kids hasn't done this to sheep. Next thing, the sheep looks concussed to me, uh, gets up and, and starts running. So I've basically resuscitated the sheep by giving it CPR by rubbing its fur or oh, no. whatever <laughs> and he, he, he's off again. And as people know who've got dogs, right? If you go into a place where there's livestock, you're told to put your dog on the lead, right? We weren't in a place where there was livestock. He sniffed them out. So didn't really give him the benefit of the doubt. I emailed who I needed to email in terms of uh, the local authorities because that's what you have to do. He didn't kill the sheep, I don't think, uh, or certainly the one that I got to and resuscitated, but you still got to let people know, right? The next walk I've taken him on, he's a different dog. 
He's a, he's a different dog. He's not coming back. And I've gone to a place where there is no livestock. There's none. So I've got him in a longer lead and he's gone. He's literally a completely different dog. And when I walked through the door after that situation uh, to Beck and she could see that um, I had mud all over me. I was, you know, bleeding out my ears because I just ran 10 miles in about three minutes. Um, <laughs> she's out like, what's happened? I told her the situation. And I think that scared her a little bit because of the kids and stuff and a bit of research that I've done is when they get a taste for it, it becomes more difficult. And not that we're looking for an easy dog, but I don't want to have a dog where every time I go for a walk, wherever, his instincts take over and he's gone. So I'm gutted. So I had to drive 13 hours because you can do that now uh, to take him back down south to the Westminster Police. And they were good about it, but I had to give them the situation. But Ace is no more. And uh, the kids, were, well, Phoebe was gutted. She was crying. She was, as I drove off, she was crying in the window, holding her heart, saying her heart hurts. And I shouted up to the window, do you know where a sheep's heart is? Because I couldn't find it, Phoebes. And uh, <laughs> oh, she didn't know what I was saying. So oh, unfortunately, he's gone. Uh, if I had it my way, I'd keep him and train him a bit longer. But as we know, in most households, the wives are the bosses and Beck is the boss. And she said he has to go. Tell the back about 13 hours in the car there and back. Well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? The fact that you had to drive all the way back from Scotland down to the Westminster Police and back up to Scotland in a day. Because you just, you, I mean, you, you never sort of stable, are you, Jim, with your life? You just move here, there and everywhere. Mate, I like to put it out there. I don't know if you can hear. There's a helicopter going around in the background. So I don't know if they've heard me just talk about the sheep. Sorry! <laughs> There's a helicopter circling around. So for the masses out there, uh, I'm being hunted. I've just got this visual in my head of Jim giving mouth to mouth to a sheep and thinking, you know, some people in New Zealand and maybe even Wales would have killed to be in that position. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that poor sheep getting mouth to mouth off Jim with his breath and his yellow teeth? I mean, but I don't have bad yeah, breath. That, that's how you woke him up, Jim. That's how you woke the sheep up. He jumped up and thought, "Fuck this! I ain't having that absolute monster." Kiss me, mate. It's not the breath, mate. It's not the breath. It's the it's the colour of the teeth. But the big thing that I, that I looked at with dogs is once they get a taste for it and once they get that kind of hunt in them, because he was like a wolf, right? He looked like a wolf. He looked cool as shit on my Instagram. Um, but that's not what you have a dog for. Dog is for life. Not for Instagram. Not for Instagram, no. So I'm going to get a picture on my back wall of him and uh, he's always going to have a place in my heart. But my goodness me, the adrenaline was through the roof when I am Mr. Gilmore through the marshlands of Scotland. So Ace is now back to being called Andy, is he? Ace is now called Andy. That was his initial name. I don't know if we said. Um, yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, we did, yeah. So uh, Ace is now back to being called Andy. Should we have a look at the news and what's going on around the Premiership at the moment? Yes. Oh, yes. Let's go for it. Yeah, return date for the Premiership's um, come out since we last recorded last week and, and clubs are, are back in training. It's been some good insight into what it looks like from Quinns in particular, uh, but there's still no plan in place for testing across the Premiership. Um, so what do you guys think about that and do you think it will return on august 15th still no it might no. Do. i don't think it will oh, I negative think, jim negative no. Mate, no. i mean the good thing about it is right is that the lads are now going to get back to training so i've spoken to a couple of the players i've spoken to a few coaches and they're starting to struggle a little bit now because you get into two two months three months so there needs to be something because everyone else has got something else haven't they the majority of people sports uh, I've got something now to aim towards. Now, I just think that date's been thrown in there. I don't know 
you know, how agreed it is. Is it locked in? No. So it just gives the players something, doesn't it? And, and rugby is a difficult one. It's not like football. And I've been looking at some of the um, stuff they're doing online. You mentioned Quinns and the kind of military style operation that's going in to get the guys back to training. Simon Zebo spoke to him who's going to come on the podcast, but he can't because he's back at training with Racing 92, which is weird because they're not even starting uh, this season again. So they're, they're not starting back until next year, but they've got them back in because, we, as we know, people need to get back to some kind of normality. And you look at some of the stuff that they were doing, uh, skills-wise, they're in groups of five, groups of sixes. It's staggered throughout the day. They've got to get back to doing something, but as we know, and we keep reiterating the point, rugby is more than just doing a bit of running and a little bit of weights. Um, there's a big contact element to that, which involves touching each other um, extensively and a lot of bodily fluids touching each other. And there aren't many other sports that are as contactable. Goody, contactable. Is that is that a, is that a word? You're talking about it's a contact sport. Yeah, so we've got and you touch each other well, a lot. So a contact sport and contactable are very different things. But hey, oh, damn. Uh, close. It was a good effort. But yeah, I mean, listen, we, we've been after some sort of plan, haven't we? We've been after a date, you know, and some direction of what could happen. Now it's great that the clubs are back training. Some of them started uh, yesterday, being the eighth of June. But there's still a lot of steps to go between now and then. We need boxes to tick around health issues around what the government's saying, strategy, and how, you know, things develop in terms of the contact element of the game. And, and again, you know, discussing certain things. The clubs are happy that the players can go back to training because they can still be on the furlough scheme until they go to contact training. And that kind of second phase, that's when the furlough scheme stops. So that changes things as well. But it just gives us and the players some hope that come August the 15th, we'll start to see uh, the Gallagher Premiership back on show. And we'll have some things to talk about um, in, in future in terms of actual rugby on the field. And, you know, New Zealand are leading the way. Their Super Rugby starts this weekend. Um, and obviously, as a country, they're way ahead of us at the minute. But it does With give crowds. Us With crowds as well, yeah. I mean, for, for us, let, let's just get the rugby started playing first. It's brilliant that we've got some direction now. And, and hopefully, we keep taking those steps along the way, keeping everyone safe, but seeing the return of the game. Where are these tests? Are they, do I buy one online or what? You can buy them online now. Yeah, but are they, are they legit? But my point being is, is like you see the footballers, and again, going back to other sports that I look at, UFC, and the amount of testing that they have to go through uh, individually, then collectively as a team, and then as an organisation, they must be going through ridiculous amounts of testing kits and money. But rugby, that's what we said. So in order to get playing, we need to know if the players or anyone in that organisation has got COVID-19 at that point. We don't know what people's families are doing, if they work in hospitals or they work in places where they're more likely to contract it. So it, so we're not even at that point yet. So they're doing the social distancing thing in training because there is no tests. So that, you know, and this, it comes down to money, I think. I mean, who's going to fund the testing capacity within organisations? Because we know rugby is struggling for money, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. And this is the difficult thing, Good, isn't it? Is like the 15th of August, as we know, in lockdown, as long as it seems, actually flies by in the grand scheme of things. And 15th of August will be upon us quickly. And, you know, will we see a game of rugby? Because the tests are in place and they've managed to find a financially viable situation to conduct as many as they need to. There's rumours of it costing 20 grand a, a week for each club, um, which, you know, is a huge amount of money. So, you know, do Premier Rugby find a, a way and a mean to pay for that for all the clubs or is it on the club's responsibility? And I think that's things that are being discussed at the minute behind closed doors. 
Speaking of doors, it's been a bit of a revolving one at Gloucester over the last few weeks, hasn't it? We've spoken a lot about it, and uh, but since we recorded, Dave Humphreys has left, left as uh, director of rugby. What do you guys make of that? Oh, it's a messy situation down at Gloucester. Um, he left and he after we recorded the pod. I don't know if it was on the same day or or the day after, and I think that highlights the issues Gloucester have got is the fact that you've got. Johan Ackerman, and we've spoken loads about Johan, uh, how big a fan we were of him, how big of a loss he's going to be to the Gallagher Premiership. But then you think, all right, so you've lost your head coach. You then try and find a head coach. You've got a director of rugby, which most clubs have, and we know that because of Saracens with Mark McCall and Leicester with Jordan Murphy now stepped up and Borthwick comes into that head coach role. So we know that that is the model that a lot of successful teams or, or teams that want to be successful are going to go down. So David Humphreys as director of rugby, then goes out to try and find a head coach. Two weeks later, he leaves his post, walks away. Now, as he Does walked he? away... Well, Does this he? is what I mean. Yeah, I mean, as he walked away, has he been paid out? Is are there more underlying issues? But they're in a state of disarray at the minute. And, you know, I watched Lance Bradley's interview talking about the coaching shortlist that they've got and the amount of people interested. I don't know who would take that job. I really don't. I, I think that you look at the situation that has been going on in the background that we've heard might be the case. And you do your research and you speak to Johan Ackerman and you speak to David Humphreys. I just don't know why David Humphreys would walk away. I, I don't know. Who's out there? That, that I don't think Gloucester will get a big name coaching. I just don't think they will with the setup they seem to have at the minute. Well, I think the issues, and we've spoken about it on here at length, and actually, Jim, you asked Lance Bradley to come on, didn't you, to uh, try and discuss it. And he said no, didn't he? He did say no. So I, I thought it would be a good forum for him. And we saw that with when we had Pichot come on, that then Sir Bill Beaumont, although he, he pied us one week, he came on the following week after we opened him up. But I think it is a good forum because I think there's, there's, there's two sides to every story. I thought it might have been quite good for Lance to come on because Gloucester is such a well-supported club. I've got uh, history with the club and some of the stuff that we've spoken about, um, if not put right, uh, and if it isn't true, needs to be put right. And I think that if you've got Lance as CEO, and a lot of the questions have been around Lance and the way that they've conducted business with other coaches, with players behind Johan's back, if that's the way they decide to do it and they think that's fine, then there's nothing wrong with that. If they, they think that's fine and they're quite open and transparent about that, or if they haven't done it, he could have come on. But look, ultimately, he didn't want to come on. Well, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, ultimately, we started talking about this quite a few weeks ago, and it's it's rumbled on ever since. We've seen Johan leave. We've now seen David Humphreys leave. And when we saw Johan leave originally, our initial feeling was a, a massive disappointment because he's a very well-liked character. He's clearly doing a good job for Gloucester. Um, you know, as I've said before, it was the first time they got to the Premiership playoffs in 10 years. Um, and David Humphreys was the the director of rugby above him and you know obviously we've we speak to people and you know we've got numerous sources around the game um that told us that johan felt his position at the club became untenable because lance bradley uh as ceo some players had gone to him behind his back and there was rumors that, that it was cipriani um to try and uh push rory teague into the head coach's role so uh with that johan looks at another clubs and and says look you know i'm not happy with this situation I want to speak to other clubs about you know perhaps looking for alternative employment and you know again that happens and then as Jim says David Humphreys is leading the charge on on uh, trying to find a replacement and I actually said if you go back three or four weeks I don't think it'll be the last change you see at the club because you actually then start looking into things and who's making these decisions 
you know, and and I'm just speaking from uh, what I think I know and what I understand and, and what I've been told. David Humphrey's position has become untenable at that club as director of rugby, and that's why he's left. I have heard rumours that it was Lance Bradley that signed Johnny May behind uh, kind of David Humphreys and Johan's back, and there wasn't an agreement from those guys. So Johnny May was signed by the CEO as this big. Let's no get, way. I'm telling you now, this is what I've heard. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, and I would have liked to have asked Lance, but he didn't come on. This is what I've been told. So, 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 so let me clear this up. So you think Johnny May hasn't been signed by Johan, who was in situ at the time, and David Humphreys, who would have made the signing because that's the role of a director of rugby Correct. in line with the head coach, mate. That's what I'm saying. And and why does David, like you just said, why does David Humphreys leave that job? Why does David Humphreys, you know, after the club have made a big announcement saying that he's leading a worldwide search for uh, the very best available head coach um, to work alongside him, why does he leave the club two weeks later? His position has become untenable because Lance Bradley has been making decisions that, you know, uh, and we said, who's got the power there? Who is making these decisions? Is it Lance Bradley? Is it David Humphreys from the rugby side? Of course, there's got to be decisions that both people make. But if David Humphreys feels his position's untenable because other people are making rugby decisions when he's the director of rugby, which is clearly what I've been told, and one of them is around Johnny May being signed. Um, you know, look at the back three that they've got. Lewis Rees-Samet, Ollie Thorley, uh, Banahan's there. I don't know whether he's still there next year or not. Um, you've got Jason Woodward, you've got Marshall. Do you need a Johnny May or do you actually, you know, and I'm, this is nothing against Johnny May at all. I know he's... Sharples is there as well Sharp, still. Charlie Sharples, another one. Um, so is that a luxury? Is it a Lance Bradley, I am a, and we use the phrase super fan. Is that that sort of sign that a CEO goes, let's get him back, let's get him back to the club. And then the actual coach, head coach and the director of rugby don't want him there. This is what I'm being told. So you're only ever going to get the party line from a club, aren't you? So the truth and, and what they put out there in the press are, are going to be two very different things. But rugby is a very small world and, you know, I, people talk, people know stuff. Um, and I, I believe that Humps felt he had no power at the club as director of rugby anymore because of the way Lance was. And I think you'll end up seeing Rory Teague as head coach. I think Cipriani has been involved in in trying to push that case as well. And that's where the club's at. But it just seems that it's imploded from from inside, really. I'm telling you now, David Humphreys, and Jim mentioned it, the only way he's leaving that club is if he gets a payout because he's got a very big contract, very well paid, and rightly so because he was doing a good job and he was the director of rugby. And he's not just going to walk away. It's business. It, you know, uh, But you do hope that whatever decisions they make now with their owner, and the board and, and Lance Bradley, it's it's done with the best interest of the club at heart and not a personal kind of, I'm a CEO, I believe this is the case. Because who's now searching for it? He could be an exceptional businessman, but you need rugby IQ to make rugby decisions. And unfortunately, I, I, you, you can't see that at Gloucester at the minute. You could be right again. I mean, the only way we'll find out is if they come out and they're transparent. But I agree with you. I don't know where Lance Bradley qualifies to try and find the next head coach of Gloucester in terms of rugby IQ I mean who else is making that decision Alex Brown potentially he's on the board now you know he's going to have a good rugby IQ he's well respected in that environment I've heard that Sips has been messaging coaches so clearly that they're looking at the senior player group 
And um, but a, a senior a player group should not be making those decisions. Yeah, they shouldn't. No, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I just hope they come good, but I can't see it for a long time because you don't just click your fingers. Do you? it takes time. You look at Bristol, you look at Exeter's um, kind of rise, and you look how quickly you can lose that with Leicester. And actually, the amount of rebuilding that needs to go into that. You try one thing, you try another thing, and you, we know that it's not just one or two things. Uh, you need to keep digging and digging and digging until you get to the foundations. What an analogy this is. You keep digging and digging and digging and digging until you get to the foundations. And then I don't really know what you do at the foundations, but whatever, whatever <laughs> happens down there, you cover it up with mud, put a bit of cement down, keep building up and put a bit of that nice kind of cedar wood on the side because that's the new thing mm. that people do in the Scandinavian look. And you build and put a roof on that is actually sustainable. Well, you just said it's not sustainable. You just said you put a bit of mud on the foundations. That's going to come crumbling down again mm. at some point if it's yeah, just a bit true. of mud, Jim. And you want them to bounce back. But ultimately, I personally, and speaking to a lot of people around the game and people from that are at the club at Gloucester, people inside, people that are close, people that deal with them, um, it, they've self-imploded at the minute and it's a real shame you seem to be in the know on this Scooty and it's been confirmed that the salary cap is being cut in the premiership so what do you make of the details of it um, well we're still waiting for the full details I know this will come out in the morning uh, being Wednesday morning we're recording this Tuesday afternoon so um, you know, there may be something released between our record and this getting uh, released from the premiership clubs but what it sounds like is it's going to be reduced uh, and the, the numbers kind of floated around at the minute. Uh, it, in everyone's eyes, it's kind of seven million at the minute, which is, I think, it's something along the line of six point four million plus six hundred grand worth of credits, and it's going to be reduced to five million um, with the credits on top of that. So, obviously, there's big debates around what happens next year. Loads of contracts and, and many contracts have been agreed. Uh, I know a lot of clubs are trying to keep the twenty five percent pay cuts in there for next season because of the way. Uh, the state of the game financially and it's something that we've talked about haven't we Jim on here um, so yeah I mean it's the reality of it is and, and the simple facts around why they're doing it and it could bounce back quicker than they expect and it's all to do with tying in the revenues of the game but the game needs to live within its means really um, for sustainability so we've seen you look at some of the numbers 89 million quid has been lost uh, collectively over two years by the 13 stakeholders in the Premiership. So the 12 Premiership clubs right now, plus Newcastle. So 89 million quid across 13 teams across two years. It's just not sustainable. And and the biggest increase that we've spoken about on here, the biggest upturn in expenditure has been on wages. So it's the first thing that you look at in reducing. And it's it's tough for the players, but the reality of it is they've had it good for four or five years. And I think that five years ago, there was about five players on over, and these aren't the exact stats, but there was about five players over 300 grand a year. Uh, and that's increased all the way up to something like 99 players over 300 grand now. So, um, you know, that, that that's a stark reality of a very quick uprise in wages um, compared to revenues not being at the same level. So you've got to live within your means and unfortunately wages have, have spiralled in the club's minds out of control and have to come back down. Well, we can get an inside take on the cut to the salary cap now and how it will play out as Leicester Head of Elite Performance Recruitment, Jan McGinty, joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Andy. How are you? Very good, Jan. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Um, mate, let's just talk about Leicester probably first up. There's a lot of changes that have gone on in the background, Simon Cohen's now left his position. Um, Steve Borthwick's coming as head coach. So there's obviously a really good part to 
uh, the club going forward. Just talk to us about how things are at Leicester. We've seen that there's going to be some job redundancies, not just at Leicester, I'm sure, in, 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 across the world, as we've seen, but in the UK, but Leicester as a club. But how, how are things as it stands at Leicester? You've both played for the club. You both believe and can see what it's like to play at a packed Welford Road, and that's ultimately what we want to get back to. The numbers are still being looked at and what those redundancies could look like. It's also been reported that people like the RFU are doing that. When you look at in Andy's country, New Zealand, they've already had to look at some of the staff cuts, is 50% job losses. Yeah, and I'll maybe go over a bit of old ground here, but um, this might give us some context going forward under all the salary cap issues and, and stuff that's being resolved at the minute. So with the 25% pay cuts, and we don't need to go into too much detail in terms of how the players at the club reacted to that, but how difficult has that been to manage across the board because it is unprecedented how has someone who is involved at a higher level managed that with the players managed that with the agents managed that with the rpa whilst trying to balance the books and everything that's going on it must be stressful times yeah it is i mean it's something i've never had to go through well i suppose i did work in scotland so we looked at a lot smaller wages but um, (laughs) yeah um, yeah but like you look at it in the context so I agree. Look, no one wants to know that 25% of the contract they have signed is not going to be paid to them. But I think you look at how every single organisation around the world has had to address this, and it's been through consistency, transparency, and honesty. You, most people would say the best players in the world, Kiwis and Andy would probably agree with this, they've taken 50 cent pay cuts. And you have not, haven't seen any revolts there. The Australians have had to take between 65 and 75% pay cuts. So in in that context, 25% is not the end of the world. Now, I agree it's not right, but we have to get people to buy and understand that this is probably a three-year period where the game has to get through this to get to the other side. And potentially what I've heard around the salary cap is at that point it will be readdressed. And if the game is going great guns as a consequence of CBC's involvement and people looking at the commercial aspect and it's regrowing it, then there's actually the possibility that it could go back up to existing levels or higher. So it's only for a short period of time. But I, I, I do understand a player's career is finite. It doesn't get seem to get any longer nowadays. And so if someone's asked to basically take that hit, it is a really stressful time for that individual, that individual's families, and actually the club itself. So we're trying to be understanding. We're trying to understand, get them to understand the financial position we're in as a club, but also trying to appreciate where they're coming from just trying to get through it really and on that then so obviously you know to our millions of listeners there are conversations going on behind closed doors there may be an announcement coming up around the salary cap but what what do you know in terms of the agreement um how much it's come down how hard was it for all 13 clubs to agree it because only a couple of weeks ago we saw steve lansdowne saying he doesn't want it to come down yet there's now been what we hear is a unanimous decision that it will come down i think the 13 shareholders of the league realised that if something wasn't done, potentially, if this carried on over the next three, four months with no guaranteed income, potentially half the league could go. And that's into administration. So there's no one left to play. So I think there was an adult conversation had by all of the chairmen and recognised that we need to basically make sure this game's here for as long as we can be. So the cap at the moment is £6.4 million with £600,000 worth of academy credits which are broken into 12 pounds academy credits you then also have four hundred thousand pounds injury dispensation which you can utilize over the season to replace an injured player who's out for more than 12 weeks so what they're talking about is that level going down to five million but then keeping both the academy credits and the injury dispensation available so it, it is a significant reduction say 14 percent roughly but i suppose what you will see is also there's 
there is concern around the marquee players, but there is a, a caveat to allow those to be in contract and let them effectively see out their contracts. And then it will revert from two to one. But ultimately, you, what you will see is the, the players' salaries will come down significantly. And in some instances, it might be higher than 25%. It is going to be a learning process. And I think it will also, also have to educate the players a bit because obviously... Players are always, and Kudi, you'll love this as well. Your player, your next contract is always going to be. It's going to be bigger than the last. It's going to be bigger than the next one. So, uh, at some point, it had a line in the sand had to be drawn just to allow, I suppose, most clubs to at least cover their face. So, not making talking, making huge sums, but just at least show some form of profit. And in order to do that, potentially sixty to seventy percent of the club's turnover is spent on players' wages. So. At some point, you actually have to address the elephant in the room, which is this. Yeah, and do you think this would have happened if COVID-19 hadn't happened? I think what it has done is highlight, one, the ability to have some conversations, but I think there were two other key factors in this. One was the fact that over the last two years, the Premiership clubs lost £89 million. That's a huge sum. You can't get away from that. I think also the fact that long-form agreement, when it was signed four years ago and it's going into its next four years, Effectively, the first four years, the incomes and central incomes were set, what they would play, pay the clubs, pay them for England players, pay the players when they're playing for their country. And the second four years was based on the RFU's income. So you saw that they went into significant debt on building their new stand. Um, they've had to make significant job cuts. So one would envisage that the RFU's income will also be coming down. So therefore, those central revenues payments will come down and in all likelihood, the player appearance monies will come down. What the pandemic's done is one, highlight those huge sums, but also accelerated some conversations that I think would have eventually happened. And I think you look at most of the significant shareholders in the premiership teams, they've been with those teams for a number of years. I don't care how much money you've got. If you're losing between two and four million a pounds a year and it's personally coming out of your pocket at some point you're going to question it i think we needed to get to the point where rugby wasn't just a hobby for some very wealthy individuals that it actually was a proper business that people could see where it was going to get to and actually how it could eventually make profit and i think this is just focused the eye in some regards and then just looking at Leicester, um, you mentioned then some conversations, and I know there's been some some bad press around Leicester and, and and the players and how it was how they reacted perhaps or how the club actually handled it to start off with. What's your take on that, and how difficult are the conversations going to be again uh, to the players going forward? Yeah, I think the reality is that everyone had to deal with the information very quickly and on the hop, and maybe we didn't deal with it as as well as others, and maybe it's something we learned from quite quickly I think one of Andrew's big points is being transparent and honest and and I think Peter's been very good and has been involved in this process from the outset you both know Geordie very well it's in his nature to be an honest and transparent person and, and he wants what's best for the individuals so I think what we've done is quickly learn from some of our mistakes and we've actually bought got better buy-in and also shared a lot more of the information that maybe they hadn't traditionally received so we're very much taking them as partners rather than just employees. So we're giving them as much information as we can at the moment because a lot of it still hasn't been given to us directly. We're sharing it with them as soon as we get it. We're sitting down, virtually sitting down with them in the, this this format to try and make sure that they're aware of exactly what's going on and also giving the opportunities to have one-on-one -on -one conversations rather than just in the group setting. So if they have something they want to ask, fair enough, ask it. But like we can do that privately so you don't, feel you're undermining your peers or you've just got it might be you're in a very unique situation that you need some special help with and we set up a benevolent fund for those individuals so we have learned from our mistakes and I'm sure 
there will be elements in every single club that won't be happy with what's likely to happen and go forward. But I think ultimately we want to utilise this to be stronger as a unit and as a club. So if we can take the negatives, turn them into positives and grow that group who trust us, I think we'll be far better off moving forward. And obviously with the 13 clubs collectively coming to this decision now, are you looking at the players in your squad and thinking, well, you know, perhaps if they don't want to take a cut, are they going to see the, the, their value that they perceive is their value at another club? Well, probably not because all the clubs are in the same position. Do you, do you feel that all the clubs will stick together on that or is it going to be a case of, you know, someone might pick off a few players if that is the case okay i think there's an almost an unwritten rule amongst the chairman that wouldn't be the case i think what you might not necessarily see is players might look to other markets after this say if they stay for one more year they're out of contract for the 21-22 season there might be opportunities in other markets where they will believe to be get their, their proper value as such in their own heads so i think we've seen it and touched on it before i think japan could be a bit more of an open option but the reality is you're only allowed three capped and three non-capped players in your match day 23. So there aren't huge opportunities there. France, the GIF system's come gone up effectively, so you need 17 out of 23 to be French. So if you look at it in that context, we only need 15 out of 23 to be EQP to play in the Premiership to get your central funding. So actually we can take more non-British or overseas players, depending on what Brexit looks like, than any other league. So I still think it'll be cosmopolitan but I think it'd be just more predominantly British so actually it could help the national team ironically. I was going to chat about the um, the academy actually but one of the things I wanted to ask before that is um, the French so the top 14 we know very lucrative league myself and Goody have both played over there and you hear some of the salaries are, are through the roof and they have a slightly different setup in terms of their TV deal and everything that goes with that how do you think premiership clubs are going to be able to compete in Europe Jim I completely agree and the reality is that they're, though they're taking cuts they're between 10 and 20 percent in the top 14 for next season I think the one thing we've still got in our favour is you have to play in England to play for England and so therefore We've always, as a club, ensured that that, as you've touched on and one we've probably touched on in a moment, uh, around the academy and actually bringing good players through that system that are English qualified. If we can ensure that that best talent retain, is retained within the system, you've still got a reasonable chance of actually being competitive in Europe because even though the salaries will be less than they could get overseas, that drive and desire to play, put on the white shirt and actually play for England is still so huge. It will keep the majority of players in England. So... That's probably our biggest weapon. Now, if those match payments go down, again, it's a different conversation because I've heard you joke about on the pod before about how much you got paid in comparison playing for Scotland as your colleagues did playing for... uh... He got haggis. He got one haggis. That's all he got. (laughs) What's that? What's a haggis? (laughs) I actually remember I was up in uh, Scotland and it was actually when... I used to look after Dan Parks and it's when he scored the the points to actually beat England in the the, uh, Calcutta Cup. And um, I walked in and they offered me one of those those hot toddies. So it's like basically in the, the suite afterwards. And it was when Gordon Mackay was the uh, the CEO at the time. And he was going, Jan, I bet you really enjoyed that knowing I was obviously English. And I just turned around to him and said, just about as much as you pay in the win bonuses. <laughs> that would actually make it go hugely up where they would come in, you'd actually come in the table. So suddenly, like he's suddenly down by about 450 grand from about 150 thought he was going to have to pay. But no, look, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, we might have to look at a different way of doing it, but ultimately, like, I still have massive faith that we will be able to compete in Europe because ultimately, if you've got the best English talent playing for the club, they're going to want to play at the highest level and that will be 
in the Champions Cup. We joked, uh, we'll come into your agency stuff now actually, Jim joked on here last week, I think it was, uh, or the week before, just about his Gilbert deal where he got paid three Mars bars and a can of Coke to wear a pair of Gilbert boots. Dan Parks actually was dressed head to toe in Gilbert, wasn't he? So that must have been, that must have been in your role as an agent. Um, I hope that was worth a lot of money because no one wants to wear Gilberts. But what I will say is, how hard is it for you now? You kind of sort of poach your turn gamekeeper in, in a sense of you were an agent trying to get as, as, as big a deal for the players as possible. You're now having to deal with the agents. And I know you've got some very close relationships and good, honest relationships with those guys. But how hard is that going to be to have conversations with agents that you mates with as well from your days as an agent to now telling them there ain't enough money to to pay them what they want well, yeah i mean the reality is suddenly players wages go down by 25 percent. so do players sorry so do agents fees and so they're hurting as an industry as well a lot of them have kind of diversified somewhat into sponsorship um and rights holdings and so they're the first things to go in a, a global re- recession almost so to be honest, it's a, it's a really tough market now. As you would know, like with guys coming or the stories you hear, players' expectations are through the roofs nowadays. So for them to try and earn a living whilst also trying to keep their clients happy is really tough. Um, I think also the margins that they actually make, once the times that like they normally have to give various pairs of boots and things like that, which actually, if you do that, if you've got 50 to 100 clients, that can add up. That could be 50, 100 grand over a year. So... I get why they need to make their fees. And a lot of the advice they give is really good. And it, it, and they think if you can actually, as a club, have a good relationship with a number of agents, it works. I think what I'm worried about is with the change in finances in the league and potential opportunities in markets which aren't that well known, players could get misled purely around finances and end up pretty miserable in places that aren't well looked after medically. They're on their own because their families are still here. It's going to be up to, I suppose, the respectable agencies to actually do a very good job of guiding these individuals to make sure they make the right decisions. And then talking about an agency, we spoke about it on here uh, probably about a month ago now when Ellis Genge came out and talked about his union that he's going to set up. I know you deal with Genji on a sort of personal basis day to day at the club uh, as he's an employee of the club but have you had any conversations around that have you delved into it a bit I know something came out the weekend about uh, he's going to ask for 1% of the players wages to to fund it uh, what's your take on that it's really hard to know because I've only literally just what I read that article on Rugby Pass over the weekend I completely understand in some regards Ellis's reason for doing it because he as a young player that hasn't known the history of the Players Association or the PRA as we used to know it probably known the hard work that Hoppers has put into actually establishing it and, and the good work they do. I think what he wanted to do was try and have an independent voice because he'd learned that their funding came from Premiership Rugby and the RFU. So he's like, well, how can you be truly independent? My only concern is when significant sums of money are involved in any scheme, you might have some negative detractors, but also probably need to do a lot more research. I mean, the RPA um, membership cost members £200 a year and you get some free legal advice with that. You get all of the potential mental health support around that. They offer a lot of things that it's very hard to actually come close to justifying that amount for what you get back. So all I'd say with, with Ellis's proposal, and I don't know how many players have signed up for it, how many players he's spoken to. I get it in some ideas it's a good idea, but if someone's suddenly having to take a 25% pay cut, potentially there might be some, there is some talk around players having to be responsible for their agents fees moving forward you've got to pay for your agent as well it's not a lot left to pay one percent of whatever it is going into anything unless you know exactly where that money's going so i think it might be a tough market to get it going but i commend him for actually looking at it in a different way and trying to bring something to the fore that may have gone 
not necessarily talked about, but everyone was aware of. But I think he's been great in actually putting a voice out there. And I always respect people that do that. In terms of going forward, so if you signed a, a player on a five-year deal, uh, he's an international, he signed a five-year deal on ridiculous money. Will the clubs honour that still uh, with that five-year or will there be a, a slow reduction in that? Has that conversation been spoken about yet? I don't know if you've answered it in that. or Yeah, whether... no, I think at the moment we're just dealing with the immediate potential 2021 season. I think for those players in contract from 21-22 onwards, we're going to have to have individual conversation around what that looks like. I mean, effectively, it's going to be just trying to reduce costs all over the board to fit into that 5 million cap. I think one of the things that probably is likely to happen as well, which could help some clubs, is the fact that the academy, the current threshold is £30,000 is the maximum you can pay any individual in the academy. They're going to increase that to £50,000. So what that might actually mean is, so for example, we went from 45 this year to 39 as a senior squad, which is, I think, the smallest Leicester's ever had. I think Sale operate around 32. I could envisage by, say, year three of these cuts, almost a senior squad of 30 with about 20 players in that development squad. So it's almost going to be your two best players in every position. And then basically you drop down to your development squad. Yeah, yeah, and that's really interesting because the academy was um, the thing that I wanted to speak to you about as well. And with Rugby Pass, we came and filmed a documentary and watched Leicester win the championship. And for whatever reason, that hasn't transferred into the first team, which it, it has done in recent years. We know years and years ago, Leicester had a great academy uh, and they had a great first team as well. But how difficult does that become as well? And th- this is me going back to Saracens as well. You produce such an amazing academy. You might have just answered it there in terms of the, the finances going up from thirty to 50000 pound but there's going to be a lot of emphasis now because of the salary cap reduction in the academies right so and you produce the, the very best players in the Leicestershire area and then there's going to come a crossroads point where they're going to get, want to get paid x amount and this is the issues that Saracens have had in other clubs arguably um, where stuff hasn't arguably been released how important is the academy and how difficult will that be to manage in the next three or four years I think ultimately the future of this club will be that academy. I'm incredibly excited about some of the players that are coming up from the development squad that played for England under-20s that will get more game time this year. Probably George Martin, Jacques Van Poorfleet and Freddie Stewart with the, the three I'm really excited about watching. But you're right, it's going to be tough to, as a balancing act. I think if I've looked at the last three-year intakes of the academy into the... We call it the academy, which is the under-18s going to the development squad at Leicester. A number of those are back row players. So there's only a finite amount of back row positions that are available. And so if a player doesn't make it, then there will be a number of other clubs who will look at our academy graduates. And I think when Pat Howard did his review, I think we had the highest amount of players from our development squad, sorry, from our academy that were playing in first team squads across the league than any other I think it's 56%. That's quite interesting really looking at recruitment and everything because ultimately you've been there since 2019 uh, and on this podcast as you may or may not know I've been very critical and Jim has as well of the recruitment prior to you joining the club in terms of where the club was to where it ended up being. Um, how tough a job has that been to turn around uh, with Steve Borthwick coming in does that then change the emphasis on your recruitment because I know Leicester have had a number of different head coaches that like to play in a number of different ways you need to go back to Cockers and Aaron Major for different views on the game. Um, how hard is that for you? Look, I think in some instances we're coming out the back of some of those coaches' decisions that we've inherited. This is probably Geordie's first opportunity to put his own stamp on that. It's like anything, when you look at it from the outside until you get on the inside out so you understand the reasoning behind some of the recruitment decisions, it's, it's kind of better to understand. But you're only as good as you end up in the league ultimately. And 
if on that basis we haven't been good enough and therefore the recruitment hasn't been good enough. I think I'm conscious of ensuring that we don't look like we're going to try and get an overnight fix. We've had to try to look at majority of signings bar two have been under 30. We're trying to go for a younger squad so that Steve can work with them and get the best out of them. In some instances, we've probably had to go for players that still have a lot of potential that can be unlocked, potentially in the forwards by Steve. Quite, I'm quite excited about Rob Taylor's addition to the coaching team because he's come from Sydney Uni, not necessarily a massive name, but just a very vocal around the utilisation of space. And actually, I think I'm quite looking forward to some of his innovative coaching. And I think one of the things that a lot of people have also kind of thrown at us is, have we been fit enough mentally and physically? I'm hugely looking forward to Adam Waters, actually, what he can add. I mean, if you look at that Springbok pack with their shirts off, a few of those clips on social media, <laughs> there's some impressive individuals there. So if he could do that to our squad, I'd be incredibly happy. So hopefully the proof will be in the pudding. I think Steve will be an incredible addition, but along with the other coaches as well. And I think he'll work really well with Geordie. And Geordie can give him the understanding of what it's like being at Leicester all his career. But no, I, I'm excited about it. Even with all this going on, I'm excited about it. I just want to get out there and watch them play in front of crowds, but that might be a while in coming. Yeah, it might be. You've answered my question, my next question, because I'm pretty gutted. Originally, you were talking about the academy saying you were struggling for backs. I was going to throw my hat in the ring. How much for a 40-year-old overweight fly half that has played fullback? But then you said you're not signing anyone over 30, and you talked about puddings. Stone, over 30 Yeah, stone. over 30 stone. You talked about puddings and, and fitness coaches, so I'm gone. But uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, what I do love as well about the club, the change over the last month has been uh, the transparency around the interviews and, and what's come out. So there's obviously been a huge shift. And, you know, August the 15th has been talked about how excited are you to get back on the playing field and see the boys play? The irony is we're still waiting on a lot of the information about how we go from various phase to phase, but um, there's been talk in the EFL league around if at the moment social distancing from the World Health Organization is one metre, we could potentially get 10,000 people into Welford Road. So they're talking originally around having these initial games at neutral venues, but we're saying, well, look, if we can get 10,000 into our own home game why do we need to go somewhere else because there's no plans do you put them all in a hotel do you bust them in bust them out but I think just everybody having had 12 weeks of lockdown with two young children and a lot of zoom calls just access to some sports going to be amazing absolutely one thing I just want to ask quickly before you go testing Uh, is there any news on testing I mean there was rumors that it was going to cost 20,000 pound is it a a week so what is it around testing that you've heard that needs to move forward yeah, at the moment, they're only talking about testing it in the second phase. The biggest concern is phase two is effectively when you have to bring players off furlough. So we want to ensure that all of those parameters are right, but also we don't suffer as a consequence. So the testing they're talking about would potentially be three times a week. On that basis, with tests being roughly £100 each, you've got a squad say of 60. You've got with your development squad, you've got potentially 20 to 30 key or core staff start doing the maths, that's roughly 30 grand a week. Now, I don't know who's going to be paying for that. Um, it's that That's obviously a conversation that needs to be had as well. But it's it's going to be paramount to the safety of our players and individuals. We don't want to put anyone under risk, but it's a huge cost. That's another 120 grand a month just to get us back. And we haven't even got anyone any revenue on the fit pitch coming back in. So we, there's conversations going on all the time. And to be fair, guys at Premiership Rugby, all of the chairmen, all of the officials at every club have been working through their, their socks off just trying to get some answers. But it's just unknown, isn't it? I mean, all of the government guidelines, they're just so unknown. We're trying to almost make up our own rules to be as safe as we can. 
we talked about the salary cap earlier and the changes that are going to come in from 21-22. What does next year look like? And I don't know whether you can answer it necessarily, but are clubs going to try and stick to this 25% pay cut or is it back to full wages? I think in the majority of clubs will have to purely from a financial perspective. There might be instances where certain club owners can afford to pay the players what their contract says they pay because there's a caveat that allows them to report 75% of the salary. Allegedly, this is what I've read, that would have to be reported. But just for the survival of the game, I still think majority of clubs will have to, in some way, shape or form, enforce a pay cut just to get through this next season with, as we touched on, the reduced in- potential income that the clubs will have we not, not be receiving, whether that's through either central central funding, sponsorship, gate receipts, whatever it may be. But ultimately, the players are going to have to help take on that burden and share the pain. And as we've touched on, if we can try and strike that right balance and make sure they can fully understand the reasoning behind it, then hopefully they'll understand and we can get going and just get back to training and playing. And finally, one last question, because Jim broke it on the rugby pod a few weeks ago. Marotoji was seen in the Leicestershire area. Can you give us any news on that, please? <laughs> it was news to me. I had his agent on the phone. His agent was going, is, where's all this coming from? His agent's <laughs> rang me and said, can you put it? I'm joking. I'm joking. That never happened. I just wanted to see Marotoji at my first club. It would have been nice. And that we know there's a void in the second row there. I'm sure there might be some announcements to come in the further few weeks. Yes, you heard it here. Marrow's Marrow going to Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, massive, um, massive insight that you've given us and uh, best of luck. You've got a lot of paperwork, no doubt, ahead of you. Uh, best of luck getting through that and getting uh, Leicester back to the top of European rugby. That's really kind. Thanks, guys, for your time. Cheers, John. Appreciate it. Top Good bloke. bloke. Top, top bloke. bloke. Mate, I, I tell you what, some people know their job inside out and some people just some people just wing it like me mate when you know you know and like goody said he knows he knows knows. mate well it's the end of the season for us today and it's the end of an era for a friend of the show freddie burns in the premiership so we thought we'd catch up with him before he heads off to japan freddie how are you mate i'm good lads how are you freddie we're very good mate we're very good so that's all she wrote La la la, the la la la. You're off to the land of the rising sun. Do you actually even know where you're going or not? Have you just signed this contract? <laughs> where are you going? Where are you going? Uh, going to Japan, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big place. Where? It's a big place. Where? When? Uh, I'm I'm actually based in uh, in a place called Nagoya. I'm sort of between Osaka and Tokyo, so quite well placed. But that's you all think. I know. That's all I know, mate. <laughs> and what are they playing in the um, the old Pisporians League or in the top league? Like, what's happening? Well, they, they were they they finished second in the or they were second in the top league uh, in the Challenge League, sorry. Uh, and they looked like they were going up. So, I believe that we'll be in the top league. But apparently, the Challenge League is only eight games, so wouldn't mind that either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fred. So, mate, when you look back on it, when you look back on what's happened um, in recent years, do you look back on it with resentment? We, we had you on earlier on in the season around Bath, and it's, you know, uh, obviously be the, the nice dream finish. You look at, you sat there wearing your Chicago balls. I don't know how Michael Jordan finished his career, but um, I, I know it wouldn't have been in a pandemic. But when you look at it, uh, you've got some fond memories of, of playing in England. Uh, yeah, mate. I think um, I think that's the main thing. It's just immense pride and like good memories. Played with some decent blokes. Played against some decent blokes. So yeah, I look back with pride. Obviously, with with Bath, 
it's kind of like, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm happy to be out. You know, it's not a place that I've particularly enjoyed being over the last couple of years, which everyone knows anyway, just from a game. The lads are great, mate. And, you know, there's some good people in and around the club. But on the whole, for me, it wasn't uh, a great experience. So I'm looking forward to getting over to Japan and trying something new. And on that, mate, I saw you were on social media. You were cleaning out your closet. You were folding up all your shirts, um, all the memorabilia players you played against and with. There didn't seem to be one of my shirts in there. Do you need like a king-size duvet cover if I send you one of my shirts over? If you've got one, I'd love one, Goody. That's one thing I was thinking, <laughs> actually. I haven't got many shirts from like friends and that, so I need to uh, clash as a friend, Goody, so send one over, mate. I'll have one. Yeah, it's a triple XL, mate, definitely, and it's getting bigger as well. Perfect. Um, are you going to take some of the experiences, drinking rules and everything over to Japan as well? Do you think they know it, or are they waiting for the Freddie Burns experience? I think so. I hope so, mate. Like, I'm hoping that I get out for a, for a few beers and that with, with the lads. Obviously, it's one of those things, that I don't know, they've got, you know, they're predominantly, obviously, a Japanese squad. They haven't got too many foreigners. I know there's a few Aussies and Kiwis and uh, Tusi pieces over there, but that's all I know, so... Matt, I don't, I don't really have a clue what I'm walking into, but that's kind of the excitement in a way. Mate, you like karaoke as well, and um, I love karaoke, mate. They, you mess you do, mate. So you can maybe sing us out before you go, Freddie. We've all seen what's happened last week. Uh, you can say what you want now because you're out of there. Uh, what has been said? Has there been anything said in Bath? Look, you know, we we all saw the Sam Burgess interview. Um, around the Fords and stuff like that, and a lot of it stems from uh, its time at Bath. What's been said? But yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, nothing's been... Obviously, you don't get the, um, the day-to-day interaction with the lads, so, so nothing's actually been said in any of the groups and that. Obviously, Sam Burgess and Fordy were here before I was, so I generally don't know, don't know much about it. Um, you know, I've worked with, I've worked with George um, in England squads and stuff like that, and... Yeah, we're we're very we're very different blokes in in that sense, I think. But um, you know, I've got respect for him as a player and, and Sam Burgess as well. So it's one of those things, mate. I think it's great to hear Sam Burgess give an honest answer. People always want honesty, and the minute someone comes out and gives an honest answer, it seems like people want to tuck into him. So you know, that's his opinion. He's entitled to it, and yeah, I think you know, people who know the Fords and know Sam Burgess can make their own minds up. Now, I'm a multilingual human being, uh, fluent in French, uh, fl- fluent in German. That's as good. That's the popish language, 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 discussion. And Chinese, I'm a quarter Chinese. You can't say China anymore, but I am a quarter Chinese, unfortunately. Uh, are you going to try and get involved in the language? Because, I mean, for me, it'd be fairly easy because I can speak Chinese. So, I mean, it should be quite seamless. But for you, who can only speak Bath, um, how are you going to get on with the language? Are you going to go all in or just let the eight games kind of carry on and get back no man I'm going to give it a crack I think uh, like, as in I'll try and pick up a, a basic they've got like three alphabets or something so hey. it's been quite confusing yeah they have yeah three alphabets so I'm trying to work it out a little bit uh, obviously there's translators and that at the club which which will help but yeah I'm going to try and sub- submerse myself in it fully but it's a hard language to just pick up and I'm hoping that when I'm in, in, in amongst it I'll be able to pick up a, a few a few words well, two two things you want to learn pretty quickly, and I'd say you should say them on day one in Japan is, first one, learn how to say, I don't tackle, boss. And yeah. the second one is, get me a beer, boss. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Those two th- those two things will, will help you fly by at fly half, I reckon. Mate, exactly. That's that's it. There's, I think I had it written in the contract that I won't tackle, so that's, <laughs> uh, that's a bonus. No, mate, it's going to be tough. Like I've heard, obviously, I've, I've looked into it a bit more and stuff like that, and it's a lot quicker out there, which is good. So I've tried to drop a bit of weight, but... You know, they've still got a lot of uh, a lot of Islanders play over there, mate. So 
I'm gonna have to um, gonna have to wear the tin out and, and get involved, mate. Take some kneecaps out. Well, the one thing you can look forward to after training and after a game uh, over in Japan, as people have, have put on social media throughout the World Cup, is the toilets. You get that little jet stream that goes and cleans your bum. Uh, how much are you looking forward to that as well? And have you uh, have you thought about different positions that you could get into? Because I know Jim struggles to clean his bum with his own hands at the minute. Mate, I uh, I have. I actually um, I actually stayed in, in the Shangri La in, in the Shard once a few years ago. Right, Went, I had a dinner in London. I had a grey suit and I saw these buttons and I didn't know what they did. So I just obviously finished what I was doing, zipped myself up, pressed one of the buttons and out came this arm and just sprayed me all over my suit. <laughs> Literally. I've then had to get undressed and stand under the hairdryer for, for 20 minutes. So I kind of know what, what to expect, but it's going to be interesting, mate. It's going to be a hell of an experience one way or another. So finally, um, you've signed a one-year deal in Japan and I know it's pretty difficult to look further ahead than that, but I know you flirted a little bit with perhaps trying to get involved with a bit of Super Rugby. What are the plans after that? Would you hope to stay out in Japan or do you have any desire to come back to the Prem? I'll be honest with you, I think that there's a bit of, uh, I'm really excited by, by the freedom. Uh, you sort of see you know, a lot of deals now in the Premiership are, are two or three year deals. And I definitely know halfway through my Bath deal that I wasn't very, I wasn't very happy and I would have loved an opportunity to have maybe done this a year earlier or looked at another option if a club wanted me. Um, not to say that I didn't continue to, compete for a spot at Bath but you know when you're when you're lacking game time you want to go somewhere you're you're respected a little bit more but yeah so one year deal I'm going to roll into that give my all into that I'd like to stay out there for for a little bit but obviously this just allows me to get out there sample it if it works for me then hopefully you know sign another contract and look elsewhere but really have the freedom at the tail end of my career to sort of bounce around and and play where I want and get experiences outside of rugby not just in. So, Freddie, we're going to ring you when you're there as well. And we're expecting just two or three lines of Japanese. Uh, just say hello. So that, that, that's our challenge to you when you're out there. Mate, perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up. Um, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to get right in the culture, boys. So I'm going to try and get in amongst it, get out and see, see things and obviously chuck myself in the rugby too. So we'll see. I might get a translator sat next to me, eh? Next time we do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Make sure you've got a, a house or an apartment big enough with a spare room for me and Jim to come as well. Always room for you, boys. All right, Freddie, best yes, of luck will. in Japan, mate. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Cheers, lads. I'll speak to you soon. Take it easy. Cheers, Freddie. Good Look luck, after Fred. yourself. Yeah, boys. Good luck, mate. Cheers, bye. Dine in hell. Dine in hell, mate. <laughs> Sayonara, lads. Sayonara. Sayonara. There, there he is. is. There he is. Already. <laughs> See you later, bye. Cheers, pal. Siri, what is dine in hell in Japanese? Hey, rolling back the years, mate, for uh, Jim Through Jim's Eyes, also known as Jim's Japsai. Yeah, mate, um, yeah. What, what a bloke. No, mate, good opportunity for him. I feel sorry for him a little bit, the way that the, the bath thing has happened. And we had chats around him leaving Gloucester to go to Leicester. I know we spoke to Johnny Wilkinson about it as well. And it's been tough for him because Leicester were, were poor, frankly, weren't they? And then well, the he whole actually way... Played, mate, he actually played really well for Leicester. He did. Um, he made it brilliant. Yeah, and he, he brilliant. and then obviously he got... Uh, and we, we spoke to him at, uh, about it on the pod about, you know, George Ford moving from Bath to Leicester and he him having to be forced the other way. So, yeah, I mean, listen, he, he's a brilliant bloke. He's put his heart and soul into every club he's played at. The Bath move hasn't gone the way he wanted it to go, um, you know, for whatever reason. He's put everything into every game he's played and unfortunately... Um, he hasn't enjoyed it as much as it, as he'd have liked, but good luck to him. You know, going out to Japan, massive opportunity, millions of yen, uh, millions of gyozas, millions of bits of sushi, and we'll definitely go out there and see him. Goody, what did you make of his answer around uh, the Sam Burgess comments? 
Yeah, I mean, well, let's get on to it. Let's talk about it. Obviously, um, you know, Sam Burgess came out and, and said what he felt was the truth in his eyes. Um, you know, we've seen people defending George, defending Mike. Um, you know, I think in, in reality, I don't know George personally. Um, so it's probably for me to comment on what's happened between players I don't really know about. Um, but what I do know is I've got personal experience with his dad, Mike, and I completely agree with what Sam Burgess said about his dad. Um, you know, and if you speak to people around the game, you can only sort of judge people on how you interact with them and how they've treated you. And I believe every word that Sam Burgess said around Mike Ford. Um, you know what? He's he's coached me. He's lied to my face. Um, you know, I go back to uh, when I was leaving Worcester Warriors. Uh, Gary Gold was the head coach at Bath. And Gary asked me to come down and look around Farley House. They're interested in signing me. And it was the same year that George Ford was leaving Leicester Tigers to go and play for Bath. Uh, Mike Ford was the coach there. And I went there and I thought, I'm, at the time, I think I was probably around 32, 33. And I, I sat down, looked around Farley House. And I, Mike Ford had been my defence coach for England. So you have that. When, when, when it's an England coach, you have to treat them in the right way. So you can't be as honest as you'd like with an England coach. And, you know, so I still had that relationship with Mike where it was like oh I've got to be careful what I say you know he he's the England coach etc when you're in that camp you can't always be completely honest um, unless you're a 60 70 80 cap international uh, and I wasn't that clearly but I'd gone down to Farley House looked around the, the the grounds a lovely place Gary Gold was director of rugby at the time Mike Ford was the coach um, Gary said look Andy I want to sign you I'd love you to come down here. Um, at the time, I was living in Cheltenham, so it wasn't too far. I wouldn't have to move. And Mike Ford was sat in the room as well. And I said, look, guys, you know, I appreciate your interest in me. I just want some honest answers, really. Um, you know, and I want to know, are you signing me as a backup to George Ford? Because I know George Ford is signing for Bath next year. He's leaving Leicester Tigers. Um, he's coming to Bath. And, you know, are you going to pick the team on merit? Am I going to be a backup for him when he's off on international duty? Um, are you going to pick, you know, whoever's playing best will get the, the opportunity? Or just be honest with me, I'm an old man, you know, I've got experience in the game. I know a lot of people, you know, where do I stand in terms of your recruitment? Mike Ford looks at me and says, we haven't signed George Ford. I can categorically tell you George Ford is not a Bath player and he won't be next season. I looked at Mike Ford and I said, but Ford, you know that I know, and we all know in this room that George Ford is coming here next year. And Gary Gold, bless him, felt so awkward because at that point I realised that Mike Ford's lying to me and, you know, he, I can challenge him on it because straight away, as soon as he'd lied to me like that, I knew there was no way I could ever sign for Bath. So Mike made his excuse and said, look, I've got to go and sort a, a coaching session out. And this was a day off, so there was no coaching to do. He literally scarped out the room as quickly as possible. I looked at Gary Gold and said, Gary, I've got so much time for you. You're a great bloke. You know, we've said hello to each other a lot. Over the times, you know, he coached Newcastle and, and various other clubs as well. Played against him when he was head coach at Bath and I was playing at other clubs. I said, but you know full well now I can't sign for you. I said, that bloke's just lied to my face. And Gary Gold said, oh, uh, yeah, Andy, I, I know. Maybe he just felt a bit awkward because I was in the room and he didn't know how to answer it. Give him a call tonight. You know, see, see what he says then. I said, Gary, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do and I appreciate you want me to come to the club. But... I can't come while he's coach because I don't respect him. He's lied to my face. Um, and no matter what he says now, I'll never trust the bloke. And Gary was like, look, I completely understand. I'm sorry. He said, we should have been honest with you. I said, it's not, not about we. It's just about Mike Ford being honest about his son. If I'm coming to the club to be his backup, just let me know. I'm 32 years of age. I can make a decision. I'm a big boy. Yeah, so do I believe in everything that Sam Burgess said about Mike Ford? Yeah, I 100% do because that's the way I've had dealings with him. And there's been numerous others when I was in England camp. There's been numerous stories around the game 
is he the same bloke now that he was back then? Who knows? I don't know, Mike. And we've seen Jordan defend him and said he's a good bloke now and stuff like that. What I do know is when he did sign for Leicester, there were a lot of people saying the same things. And Jordan Murphy said, look, he'll only judge him on what he has to judge him on as a Leicester Tigers coach. And, you know, ultimately, you know, he's still there in a job. So, you know, you can only judge people on on your dealings with them. Um, I don't trust Mike Ford. I don't, you know, I know he is, has got that snake in him that Sam Burgess clearly said. And I know a lot of other people will agree with that. So uh, George Ford is a different kettle of fish. I don't know him. People say he's the ultimate professional. I'm sure he is. Um, but I can also probably see Sam Burgess's side where he said George would assault when Sam got picked and George got dropped because that's natural, isn't it? So um, ultimately, you know, both Mike Ford and George Ford had a pop at Sam Burgess in the press when he left just after the 2015 World Cup. And it's the first time that Sam Burgess has really been involved in any press over here uh, in terms of his rugby career since then. And, um, you know, he, he gave back as uh, as honest account as he could and it's it's blown up and, you know, people are saying, why is he saying it now? Well, why not say it now? It's just the truth. And like Freddie said, you respect someone that, that gives their honest opinion and that's as honest as I can be. One of the re- other really interesting things was that Sam Burgess had the tea bags, had the kahunas to call Eddie Jones before the 2019 World Cup and speak to Eddie about the dynamics of the team. And we spoke about on the podcast as well, Goody, around the World Cup, that there were some dynamic issues in the in this current World Cup team yeah. that actually were addressed in a meeting before the World Cup. So you think about how well England did in the World Cup. They got all the way to the final and the performance against New Zealand was one of the best performances we've ever seen. Actually, Sam Burgess and what he spoke about actually benefited that England team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I just think that he, he said that this was about him wanting England to, to do well. I mean, for me, what a bloke. Yeah. When you look at it, the experience that he had completely burnt with the biggest skid mark you've ever seen, round your head, put him <laughs> on your feet, take him back off, turn him around, rinsed. He got roasted. And, and it was unfairly as well. Unfairly, exactly. They were winning the game. They were winning the game. And he spoke about it as well. You know, Jamie Roberts and his battle against him, he was there to do a job that he did. When he went off the pitch against Wales, England were winning anyway. Yeah. Well, it, there was that honesty meeting uh, before the World Cup in 2019 and it, it surrounded the Ben Young scenario, didn't it, with um, things that were released to the press post-2015 World Cup. And I think from what I gather, Owen Farrell uh, had taken... Um, a bit of offence to what was said about his dad. And and that's the whole dynamic of a dad-son relationship. Ultimately, we all know Andy Farrell left his job. Owen Farrell stayed in the team. And until that moment, and they had the honesty meeting that Eddie Jones called for, um, there was always some sort of underlying factors around relationships that you can only improve if you talk about them be open and honest and you know Burgess has been honest is there evidence around what Sam Burgess said uh, surrounding Mike Ford 100% there is you know and I even said to Jordan be careful bringing him in because he'll be after your job and ultimately he's probably a different bloke now hopefully Mike and he's he's doing things for the best just finally on that point I think for me having been a player and now looking in and, and looking at the dynamics of teams and you know we're speaking about Gloucester this week I think from a player's point of view, all you want, right, is absolute honesty and absolute integrity. You know, you might not be the best coach in the world, you might be the best coach, but if you have them things, and this is the big thing when I look back on my career with my relationship with Vern, all I want, all I needed was complete honesty and integrity in the situation that we found ourselves in. And there's nothing worse, right, if you don't get it. If you've got a coach that's a snake, whatever snake means, you can, the listeners can package that up how they how they think that that might 
might be for different players, different teams. But if you're a snake or you're not honest and you've got no integrity, there is nothing work. And it doesn't work. Like the club or the team will not work if you've got a coach that operates that way. It just will not work. What did you make of what Guinnessy said about uh, Genge and his um, players' union, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, on Rugby Pass at the weekend, um, it was released that they'd seen documents uh, from the new website that Ellis Genge has put together to be part of this union, uh, which he's calling RP Epoch. I looked into it. Obviously, I read the article. And as Jan McGinty said earlier, you know, he's asking for 1% of players' wages to fund it, uh, that you could get a return on investment from in 10 years' time. I mean, who knows what we're doing in 10 years' time. But yeah, it's interesting. I have heard and done a bit of digging around this because uh, it did say that an ex-England international is trying to secure funding for it as well in the city. So I've done a bit of digging and it turns out from my sources that apparently the rumour has it that Will Carling is behind it. No doubt. Yeah, and he's trying to source funding from the city um, to help Ellis Genge in launching this RP Epoch. And Will Carling's employed by the RFU as well, which I find a slight conflict of interest oh Ooh. drama yeah drama just leave it there just yeah. leave it there the final podcast of the season just leave that there just leave that there yeah so um but it's an interesting one who knows what's going to come out we haven't heard a lot more from ellis genge on it but that was leaked at the weekend somehow and it's interesting isn't it i wonder how, how many players sign up for it i wonder if the rfu are going to speak to will carling about it and see if he is actually involved in it watch this space so you may have heard an ad on the pod this week from Bullseye Barbecue's barbecue sauce, and they've asked us to pick out the boldest moment in rugby history. What do you guys reckon? Well, there can only be one really for me, and it was so big they even made a Hollywood movie about it. It has to be South Africa winning the Rugby World Cup in 95 in South Africa, and Nelson Mandela handing over the trophy, and Joel Stransky being the hero with his kick in and his drop goal, and then he coached me. So, yeah, it's got to be that one. For me personally, there's loads of big moments, Goody. You've been involved in some huge moments in your career, uh, maybe not so much me. Well, there is. There's a couple of times I've, I've got on the pitch for a couple of minutes to secure uh, the victory for uh, Saracens and... Maybe not Scotland. Uh, the backs were awful. But you can't argue with the 95 drop goal from Joel, Joel Stransky. But some huge moments before Goody. Can you pick any others out? Yeah, well, I think you compare winning drop goals. Wilkinson's in 03 was massive for England. Jeremy Guskett's in South Africa as well for the, the 97 Lions Tour. But the most iconic one has got to be Joel Stransky's beating the All Blacks in the 95 World Cup final in extra time. I didn't mention my one to beat Gloucester in the semi-final in... Uh, 2008 but hey hey mate don't worry about that one Goody did you ever uh, see my uh, kick for the Barbarians against Scotland at Murrayfield I didn't know did off the shin off the heel straight into the crowd off the <laughs> there we go but yeah I mean an iconic moment you see you know they they win the, the game obviously there was reports that the All Blacks had food poisoning but the most iconic thing after the drop goal was seeing Nelson Mandela in his South African jersey with number six on the back presenting the trophy to Francois Pinar who was the number six the captain the hero and it just united a country so it was a fantastic day, uh, something that goes down in history, not only on the rugby field, but in and around the whole of the country, South Africa, uniting a place that had some real difficulties. So um, it has to be the boldest moment. And Joel Stransky was pretty bold in certain areas, wasn't he, Jim? 
mate, well, I don't know the certain areas. I didn't play with them at Leicester, but you would talk about iconic moments and bold moments in history. That, for me, is is the one, because it wasn't only rugby that changed. That There was a lot around the country, and you know we saw South Africa recently win the World Cup again with Sia Khaleesi at the helm. And really interesting chatting to Stransky about Sia Khaleesi. Some words of wisdom, he said, 18 months ago, just randomly. Well, maybe not randomly, because Joel Stransky was doing some ambassadorial stuff for South Africa. We sat next to him on a plane, and he said that Sia Khaleesi was one of the most down-to-earth, humble human beings. But I know that. He's talking to me like I don't know. I do know. I'm mates with Sia. I gave him some words of wisdom when I sat down and spoke to him and said, look, it ain't bad if you keep it under 50, basically, Sia. If you keep it under 50, I said, the country will look at you and understand that you're allowed to go out. You can enjoy a barbecue. You can enjoy whatever you want to do. And he looked at me and said, no, mate, I'm here to win a World Cup. And I looked at him blank. I didn't know what that meant or how you were meant to do that. Do you remember the before the game, the aeroplane flew low over the stadium? So much uh, was set up for South Africa to win the game that day. And you look back as well at the, some of the players that played Goody. So you had three great men, seemingly, in the late journal Omu youth van der Vestes and Chester Williams as well and it's really sad that they're no longer with us and played in that game that changed the face of sport arguably yeah it did and I think the one thing you think about is that game and Jonah Lomu and players like that perhaps gave us a career because the game turned professional not long after that and you know we're forever indebted to Jonah for his superstardom which created a a fans frenzy it also created a a brilliant vibe out of South Africa with them being the world champions and the game grew from that moment so um, it's really is an iconic moment in everyone's memory of rugby uniting a country but also um, seeing the smiles on on people's faces around that South Africa when they'd been through such hardship and that iconic moment of Nelson Mandela with the number six jersey on handing the trophy to Francois Pienaar with his hand on his shoulder as well just saying that we're back together we are a country that's united and what a sporting achievement that is there you go so that's our bullseye barbecue boldest moment and make sure to check them out for all your summer barbecue needs and all good supermarkets Right, well, it's time for another quarantine quiz, and we've picked a game from a few years ago again, and you each have to name players that played that day one after another until one of you gets it wrong. Do you get it? Is this a game that we played in as well? This is another game that you guys have both oh, played in. Oh, okay. all right. All right. Okay. The game it'll is... Be, it'll be Gloucester, Gloucester versus Worcester. The 2006 Premiership Ooh. Final. Oh, oh I yes. scored. I scored. Yes. Right, here we go. I might be all right at this one because good memories because I scored. Um, yeah. Did you, do you know I scored, Goody? Yeah, I know you scored, yeah. Off the bench right. when, we were, when we were 30 down. <laughs> <laughs> Details, mate. Yeah. Uh, so, Jim, over to you to start this week. Julian White. I know that because he carried me over the line. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Austin Healy, because it was his last ever game for Leicester Tigers or last ever game of his career. Mark Cueto. Andy Goode. Jim Hamilton. <laughs> Charlie Hodgson. Richard Wigglesworth. Jason White. Oh. Martin Corrie. Cosa. Biggest bush ever. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Jordan Murphy. Oh. Magnus Lund. Yes. God. That's a good shout. Um, Lewis Deacon. It's getting hairy now, isn't it, Jim? It is. It is. And... I want to say Jason Robinson. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Jason Robinson. Yes, yes. Um, Oriol Ripple. There's one for you. Oh, my, are you, have you got this up or not? No, I haven't. I just remember. I think he scored. I played with him at Worcester, and he never fucking banged, stopped banging on about it. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Graham Roundtree, 2006, old school. Or do I go George Shooter? George Shooter. Correct. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's getting close now. Scrum off. Harry Ellis. Sebastian Chabal. Oh, yeah. Yes. He did play. He did play. Well, um, they were good, weren't they? So, so, so yeah. good then. Yeah. Oh, Sebastian Bruno. Yeah. We're going all sale players here. <laughs> Andrew <laughs> Sheridan. No. I don't. I don't think he played, Sherry. No, oh, no way. He <laughs> <laughs> I've been done. I've been done. Matt, I just, I just jumped on the bandwagon of uh, good players that have played for sale. Oh, gutted. There we go. That's about 900 quid, isn't it? Was that 900 quid? Yeah, I think yeah, so. That was, a, that was a good one, though, that was, Jim. It was. I'll donate uh, tomorrow. Right, it's uh, time for your feature now, isn't it, Jim? And Badgie Smugglers are on board with Jim will solve it now, aren't they? Yes, friends of the show. They've been with us for a long time. Maybe not the start, but it feels like from the start. And they are here with us at the end. It's Budgie Smuggler, friends of the show. We love you. They love us. Goody looks horrendous in them. I don't look much better. But we're ordinary <laughs> lads with ordinary rigs and a great company that isn't ordinary. So big shout out to Budgie Smuggler. They always rock up to the live shows. They love it. They like drinking with us responsibly. And they're sponsoring the feature. Jim will solve it. Get it? Because Jim will solve it, but I generally don't. Riddle me this, lads. Riddle me that, lads. Jim will solve it. Pillback. Back. Yeah, just hit head me. to budgiesmugglerukcom to check out their full range of men's, women's, and kids smugglers. They also have face masks available and their spicy smuggling designs. And if you enter the code pod, 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 you'll get free shipping too. So just head to budgiesmugglerukcom to check out what's on offer. Here's the riddle. What can run but never walks, has a mouth but never talks, has a head but never weeps, has a bed but never sleeps? What can run but never walks, has a mouth but never talks, has a head but never weeps, has a bed but never sleeps? Well, I mean, it's a pretty sorry existence, is it not? (laughs) (laughs) Do you you not think? Well, it can run, so that's not sorry, is it? Yeah, but if you can't walk, you must be absolutely hanging. It doesn't say you can't walk, it says never walks. So he doesn't, he never walks, he just runs the whole time. He's got a mouth, but never talks. Yeah. Well, that that, that could happen. Yeah. And he's got a head, but never weeps. So weeps is crying, right? I mean, yeah, I never cry. Or weeps is, yeah, crying or, yeah. Has a bed... But never sleeps. Well, it ain't a person, is it? Because if you know, uh, or is it? Or is it? You get no. It's not James. I'll help you out. It's not. What can run? Has a mouth tap. Is it a tap? Oh, tap you, of a mouth. Well, you, you you're going along the right it's lines here, Jim. A hose. A hose. Nope. You're what in the can right, run? You're in the so right what, kind of idea with tap and hose. What can run? See, what happens with me, right, is I get something in my head. So I've got tap and hose in my head and I can't get them out. Mm. So I'm trying to work out the, my brain functionality yeah. of how much it can hold. Okay. So it's not tap or hose, but it's along those lines. It's, there's a loose relation to tap and hose. Metal. What can run metal? Rubber. Rubber, 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 metal, rubber. What can run but never walks? Has a mouth but never talks? Has a head? Don't worry about what it can't do. Just focus on what it can do. So it can run. Yeah. It's got a mouth. Yeah. And a head. Yep. And a bed. Yep. 
Amen. Related to something that a tap or a hose is used for. What do those two things have in common? Spray out water. <gasps> right. What can what can run but never walks? Has a mouth. Has a head. Has a bed. What has a head that isn't real? Oh, it's real. It's a thing. There's lots of them all over the country. Water. All over the world. Water. Well done. We mentioned a mount- one. A mountain. A ma- does oh. a mountain have... Does a, uh, yeah? No, but, you know, getting closer. Got it. C. Oh, close. Cl- very close. You're warm. What You're really run, warm what now. What can run? Yeah, the sea can run. Does it? Do you, do you say the sea runs? Well, it moves. It's got a mouth. Does it? Well, where the rivers meet, it's got a mouth, <gasps> isn't it? The what? The what, mate? Where the rivers... Oh, oh. Okay, now just, just think about Where the it. rivers? Where? Where? Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Where the rivers? Oh. Rivers. Oh, what? Yeah. Rivers. Yeah. rivers. Hey. He's got it. Has rivers got got beds? Uh, yeah, river bed. River bed. Of course bed. it has. <laughs> <laughs> of course. What about a head? What's the head of a river? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh my word! Well, I mean, has a river got a head or not? The river head. Yeah, the head of the river. Head of the river, mate. Oh, mate! Wow, riddle me this, riddle me that. Jim's just solved it. It's the last <laughs> podcast of the season. Pillback. Don't forget during the off season uh, to make sure you check out our Superfan subscription service at patreon.com for more great rugby content during the summer. Goody caught up with London Irish defence coach Brad Davis last week. Have a listen to this. Good stuff. Well, after the Ospreys, you were linked with the England job, weren't you, uh, when Paul Gustard left? And I remember I spoke about it on the podcast yeah. um, that you'd certainly be someone that, having worked with you, would be a brilliant choice as England defence coach. How did that come around and meeting Eddie Jones and speaking to him? How close were you to getting the job? Yeah, I, I met up. Um, I got a phone call from from Steve, Steve Borthwick. It was, a, it was a few weeks earlier and then I got a phone call from Eddie saying, you know, he'd like to meet up. And we had a, we met up, um, we met up at a hotel in Bristol actually and had a good two and a half hour chat about whether I'd be I'd, I'd be interested in, in at this stage it was into a, into a skills role with the possibility that Obviously, something might happen with with Paul with Harlequin. So um, we chatted, and then uh, I think a, a week later, um, I got a phone call saying, "Yes, like uh, they're interested," um, and I've I've been shortlisted. So um, I was shortlisted with about five, I think, at the time, and then we got down to the last um, the last two. So um, Eddie wanted to to meet up with someone. Um, when they were going abroad, I think they were going to play over in South Africa, and obviously that was John. And to be fair, it was like you know, it, at one stage I was about two days away from from I felt like getting the role, and then things happened. I think the Barbar games happened for for England, and that that didn't go that well. And and then another, you know, obviously the England defence role is a big role, and everyone who's a defence coach would be interested in it. So, you know, I think people were putting their name into the ring, and and. It, doing the right diligence um you know they had they they went to had to had to open it up to interview so it got down to me myself and john and um and eddie eddie decided to go with john which in hindsight looks it's it's been a fantastic decision by um by eddie you know eddie was really great gave me gave me a phone 
get rung me back and said explained his reasons and and his his, his reasons were very um I, I could understand them straight away I, I they were they were right to the point you know John had coached international rugby before knows how to prepare a team I've only ever prepared like club teams which is completely different to the international role so and 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 as it's as it's been proven it's been a, it's been the right choice for for England and for Freddie yeah and but you're linked with some of the roles that I talked to you up about on the, the rugby pod as well Le- the Leicester role popped up at one yeah. point um which you were you're pretty close to as well and then you end up at London Irish just tell us how it is as a coach um because I, I only know it as a player really when you're speaking to a few clubs about a possible contract how hard is it as a coach to be focusing on your job but also then uh, speaking to other clubs and, and looking at roles out, outside of what you're doing at the time yeah, it is really difficult. But I think the thing about coaching and, and for me is that you, you pretty much know as soon as you meet people, Goody, like I think generally like if, if you spend a bit of time meeting with people for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, yeah, you get a good feel for someone. Um, I, I felt when I met Lester that the the conversation that I had with Lester and they were they were very nice and they, you know, they were, they were keen for me to come on board at that time, but then they weren't so keen and then they were keen and within within a one or two weeks they you could tell that they weren't settled in their own minds mind about where they wanted to go um you can see, you can see that now i can say it, you probably can't but you can see that now with the club and the changes that they've made all the all the way through really can't you that's right so i never i never left that meeting feeling um that i had with those guys i never felt that felt that well i'm sure that they're sure and i'm not sure where they're set where they're settled yeah as, as a coaching unit when i met um deck and les and I had, I, I just felt I felt right straight away. Yeah, I felt right straight away. I just felt like we we clicked. We got on. Um, they they explained their vision. They talked about Brentford uh, taking the stadium. They talked about the signings, the challenges of the club, and it, it just felt like that was that was something that I wanted to be to be involved with. Um, I then, um, you know, I got in touch with Deck Danaher and George um, Skivington. On, on WhatsApp, we had conversations. We got on really well. You know, we talked about how we coach and and things like that. And it just it just fitted. So it was, um, you know, once that once that offer that came in and that we felt like we were going to be a good fit, there was a it was a no brainer for me to go to there. And I think it's been proven so far that it's been a good decision. There you go. Just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod if you like the sound of that. It's just a few quid a month for loads of extra interviews and features and we couldn't do all this without you. So a massive thanks to everyone who signed up for your support. Right, shall we finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly, which is brought to you by Suns, isn't it, Goody? Yeah, it certainly is. The lid is on point again. Thanks to the tablets, the vitamins, the topical solution and the shampoo. Uh, And we've got a competition with them this week, haven't we? Yep, there's a chance to win a year-long subscription to Sons on their non-prescription plan, a signed copy of Rory Best's book, some signed rugby pod gear, and other great prizes. So just go to sons.co.uk forward slash rugby pod and enter your details to be in with the chance of getting your hands on that. Uh, good. Uh, a few bits of good. Not a massive amount to report, really. But firstly, the good news coming out of New Zealand, Andy Rowe. Super Rugby Aotearoa is back this weekend but more importantly there is no restriction on crowd size in New Zealand so when it does return this weekend fingers crossed we are going to see packed out stadiums everyone's desperate to get out there to watch some ruggers uh, the good folk of New Zealand will pr- support their teams Bowden Barrett's in the mix I know a lot of the franchises are doing good things around the ticketing so you can take your kids for free if you buy two adult tickets that sort of thing so hopefully we're going to see some packed stadiums some amazing rugby and the crowds will be sweeping into all the stadiums. So that's really good stuff. Um, 
Another bit of good news, Premiership Rugby. We finally have a date. We spoke about it earlier. Uh, 15th of August is the date that they are intending on starting the games again. So a brilliant bit of news and positivity around, hopefully, rugby reconvening, getting back out on the field and playing some games behind closed doors, obviously. But it'll be brilliant for everyone to see Premiership Rugby back on the TV again. Won't it, Jim? F. F. I'm still if. Well, we've got so, a date anyway, so it's mate, good. A, it's good we've now got a date. I'm a pessimist, mate. I'm an honest man. But the good this week, and we mentioned him before on this podcast, the good this week goes to Michael Fatialofa. Uh, he's back home after spending the last six months in hospital since his injury for Worcester against Saracens at Allianz Park. Um, the best bit about it was the social media video that was posted by his wife, Tatiana, greeting him as he walks unaided out of hospital. Um, it's a brilliant thing to see. If you haven't seen it, flick on to Fats's social media channels, have a look at the video. It can't fail to put a smile on your face seeing that happen after everything that everyone's gone through, including himself with his injury. So brilliant news. Great to see him back up on his feet and out of hospital. For me, Goody, that is the good of the season. Some good news to finish on. So yeah, a big shout out to Michael Fatialo for everyone who's helped him and his family. Yeah, great work from Fats. Uh, bad. Uh, I'm going to put this down as a bit of bad news. Some people may see it as good. Depends who you are. Jefferson Poirot uh, has retired from international rugby at the age of 27 because he can't focus on both that and club rugby and his family, which is completely understandable, but very disappointing from uh, the French point of view and anyone out there who just loves watching Jefferson Poirot play rugby. He's a brilliant player, plays of Bordeaux. Um, he was part of the very successful France team uh, this Six Nations and you know it's a massive thing for him to do that actually with the World Cup in France in three years but you respect him for making his decision um, you know a little bit of Joe Marler in there retiring early perhaps he'll come back out of retirement if he misses it too much so uh, he's retired from playing for France at the ripe old age of 27 Crazy I actually retweeted and commented on the Rugby Pass article that they did of it and wrote Trey's Bazaar and then I actually took it down because I thought there might be more in it than just a simple I'm just retiring so uh, hopefully that isn't the case and it's just factual in terms of what he said and you know he might come back out of retirement but you know it's a weird old time isn't it lockdown and um, we wish him well because he's been quality for France and as we know playing in the front row for France he must be a good player and he is he certainly is Uh, what else was bad well it looks like around 20 people will be made redundant at Leicester we spoke to Jan McGinty earlier obviously that's pretty bad news and they're set to lose over £5 million in revenue come the end of this financial year because of it so really bad news coming out of the club but also understandable after hearing what Jan said earlier Um, what else is bad there's a rugby team from Samoa who still haven't made it home nearly four months after playing away in Perth, Australia. Mate, that ain't bad. <laughs> mate, <laughs> that ain't bad. That, that's good, mate. Well, tell the crap they've had that. Yeah, well, it's, it is bad if you want to get home to your family, but uh, <laughs> Manuma, Samoa's players, were forced into quarantine in New Zealand on the way back, and then the borders closed, so they've lived in a church compound in Auckland, for a few months, with 20 of them sharing one room. Imagine so, the man. Imagine the smell, though. The farts at <laughs> oh night time. Oh, my word. Uh, they've just got back to Samoa, uh, but are now in the middle of a two-week quarantine period before they can see their families again. So they still can't see their families, but they are home. Um, but they've been stuck in a church compound in Auckland for a few months, 20 of them sharing one room. <laughs> imagine the smell. 20 blokes in one room, not so much. Uh, but the bad this week, and we talked about it earlier... Unfortunately, all Gloucester fans, I have got to give it to Gloucester. We saw David Humphreys leave last week. There's a bit of self-imploding 
uh, for me around the club. Um, they will dress it up as a positive moving forward, hopefully. But for me, it's really bad news to see first Johan Ackerman, then David Humphreys leave, and the rumours come out of the club around uh, what's been going on behind closed doors is pretty bad. But hopefully and I'm sure this will ring true with Jim Hamilton as well. Hopefully, uh, there'll be a lot of positives to come out of Gloucester moving forward once they get their shit sorted. And then the ugly. Um, Only one real bit of ugly for me this week. Uh, Australia international Lepeti Timani has been given a six-month suspended prison sentence after he was charged with throwing a bottle that reportedly hit a security guard in the face in a brawl outside a La Rochelle nightclub in May last year. Um, So not good news for Lepeti. Don't throw bottles. And yeah... Uh, six months suspended sentence. So that is the ugly. Thanks, Cody. And you guys got a couple of shout outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, big shout out to Crippo from Maidenhead Rugby Club, who recently finished doing 40 challenges in 40 days to raise money for the NHS. And his final one was walking or running 100 kilometres around Berkshire. I don't think I've ever walked 100 kilometres in my life, but... Um, <laughs> You've thought about it. I have, I've got in the car and driven it, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, massive shout out to Crippo. He's also walked the equivalent of the three peaks up the stairs in his house and done the equivalent of rowing the channel on the rowing machine, among other crazy challenges to raise money for the NHS. I know they saved his life many, many years ago, so he's very grateful, and he's putting as much back in as he can. He says his feet aren't agreeing with him anymore. He's got blisters galore, um, and his missus now hates him as well because he's back in the house where he's been out the house for a lot of the time. So uh, massive shout-out to Crippo. Yeah, well done, Crippo or Calippo, however you say it, mate. Uh, big shout-out to Joe Thomas as well. He's a physiotherapist at Chippenham Hospital, and he's auctioning off a signed England match shirt. I'll add mine to that if you want as well, to raise £2,500 to buy a new end-of-life patient stroke chair for his ward so just check out justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash joe thomas 13 for more details on that good on you joe yeah good stuff joe and a shout out to Lindsay mcnaughton as well who's a massive fan of the pod uh, she plays 10 for Sterling County Women and will be celebrating her 30th birthday in lockdown on June the 18th. So a massive happy birthday from your boyfriend, Tom, and from the rest of us here at the Rugby Pod. Yep, happy birthday, Lindsay. Happy birthday to you, stinky bulldogs and poo. She might not have a bulldog, but um, they smell a poo generally. Anyway, one last shout out to a man known as Intercept Bob. Intercept. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> so he's obviously... Bob. Yeah, he's either decent at the intercept or he's absolutely shocking it comes off his head every time. But anyway, <laughs> he was supposed to be getting married to Mel at the end of the month, uh, but it's been postponed. And best man Ed says he hopes you have a great time anyway, and he's promised to let us all know when the stag do is going to be rearranged. If it's on a flight, send me location. If it's an hour away, that ain't a stag do. My mates in Cov always said, it ain't a holiday or a stag do unless you're on a plane. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Producer Tim. And thank you very much for listening as well. We've had some great reviews on iTunes recently and they really are appreciated. So if you do have time to post one in the coming weeks, that'd be great. And don't forget to enter our competition giveaway at sons.co.uk forward slash rugby pod as well. And check out our super fan subscription service if you fancy even more great rugby content every week. And we'll see you again very soon. Rugby pod. Pod, pod, pod. Bye. Uh-huh.